Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 31 of season three of this osteopathic life. We are on day four of the daily podcast challenge for the month of November. And what has come up for me today and really over the course of these four days is the idea of calibrating and perhaps more appropriately or accurately recalibrating. So as I set into this challenge, it was on the closure. It was following the completion of the swim challenge that had found me 153 days in to daily swimming in various bodies of open water, mostly in Michigan, some in different spaces and places pending travel. And coming here to this challenge was a recalibration to a new task, to a new expectation, to a new beginning. We talked about that earlier this week and how we go from the start to the finish and what happens in that space in between. And what I've noticed, and this has been fascinating to me in different avenues as well in my life, is how quickly we can fall out of the routine of doing something, even when it has been part of what we've been doing for so long. And I have this most recent example of five months daily consistency. And I will admit to you that it has only been four days and we can use that modifier and we can decide what the only means there. In that first day of not swimming, I shared with you, was so challenging and I kept feeling that urge and the readiness to go. And I will say, here we are four days later and there are some moments I can't fathom having had the time, the space, the bandwidth, the willingness to go to the water every day. And I think about that and think, how is that even possible? And what I notice is, and we talked a bit about continuing, is that when there is just the one day, so say I had left the one day to complete, to close that circle, to complete the streak, and then had gone the day following, that urgency would likely still have been there because I would have reintroduced it so quickly there wouldn't have been this loss of sense of where it would fit in the schedule. But even those two days in between, making it so different in three and stretching it out that way can make it seem almost foreign that it was ever even a routine part of my existence. And let me share with you a broader example of this. So I am a daily exerciser and rest days are a rarity for me and that we could bring up in a different episode as well and explore. And I have varied enough active engagements that there is usually rest built in alongside going for a hike or a gentle swim or paddling and not always doing the most intense workouts, but I'm usually doing something that would qualify as exercise in most criteria, in most people's opinions. We could look at heart rate, calories burn, whatever measures you might use. 
Most days, I've had some full rest days, but generally there's some activity involved in my day. Now, the time when this wasn't possible most recently was when I had an injury and the recovery was absolute rest. So I was allowed to be in my clinic wearing an abdominal binder and see patients. And there is some physical engagement there. I stand up and I use my hands, I move my body, but relatively low intensity and intentionally modified postures and positions to reduce stress and tax on the muscle that was injured. Otherwise, it was complete rest, not walking places, getting rides, sitting more. And in the beginning, as you might imagine, there was a lot of internal turmoil, so much restlessness, this sense of what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Exercise is my way. And as the days elapsed, and it was a six weeks of absolute no glimpse of exercise on the horizon for me, it became very easy to see how one might not incorporate exercise into their daily life and even some days to think, how did I fit this in? And we can think about the idea that work or tasks, whatever it might be, will fill up the time that's available. And if you have ever had a particularly busy week and a lot of tasks to do, have you noticed that you can sometimes be much more efficient in that time and space and much more reliable, much more predictable to get the things done that you want to get done? And I think about this during the busiest time of my life, which we could say ironically or actually say totally appropriately, was immediately prior to that significant injury. So right before I sustained that injury, I was working up to 60 hours a week in my clinic. I was coaching 20 classes a week in my gym. You can already see, right, the hours adding up there in the week. I was training myself. I was coaching with my children, all of these different pieces. I was playing music and volunteering in different arenas. So my hours of the day were quite occupied. And I still was doing all of those things. Now we could look at the injury and recognize that that wasn't a sustainable course. And I do believe that was my body's messaging, right? To say to me, too much, right? Take a break, take a pause, take a rest. And if you can't invoke that yourself, we, the sum total of all the components of my physiology, will do that for you, right? We will drop anchor here if you're not willing to take a pause from the act of paddling. And so, in that busiest time, although to that degree was not sustainable, I can see where right, when I had certain things to do, certain hours in the clinic to uphold and certain requirements in the gym and my own fitness and with family, you would fit it in and prioritize. You would almost more reliably put it in because you knew the timing was quite narrow. And so this was the hour, right? This was the hour where my exercise would get in place. Or I do have this deadline for writing, so this is the hour, this is the window in my day to get it done. Contrast to times when you have more time available to you, there can often be that mindset of, well, right, I have five hours today, so I'll do it during that window. And then that window creeps and the time ticks on and then it narrows and then you're somehow outside that five-hour window thinking, what did I even just do? And you might be saying, I never have a five-hour window. And we could absolutely examine that because during that time I shared with you prior to the injury, which now we have hindsight to examine, was problematic to never have those windows. And there are seasons in our lives when that does happen. Speaking to many physicians, there are times when we are tasked with many hours of work and responsibility. 
again, we can look at challenging the system for appropriateness, sustainability, and health of those who are providing health care for others. At the same time, we can begin to advocate and say, where can we be more mindful of this allocation? And then we can also notice, if we do have more flexibility and timing, what are some ways that perhaps we can make more effective use of it? I don't want to say better. I pause intentionally there to not say better, because sometimes it's okay to just have that open time and to not have anything assigned to it. Giving ourselves permission to do that could be a tremendous challenge, particularly if you're used to being productive and timely and efficient, resourceful, all of those pieces. Having an open window of time to which you have not ascribed any particular tasks or deadlines can be very unsettling. Examining that is something we can do. But if you do have a task you would like to accomplish and you do have a wider window, narrowing that window in as much as you're telling yourself, I don't have all five hours to get this done. I want to have four of those five hours to just relax and be, and I want to complete this task in the one hour. And so this is the hour within that window that I'm assigning for that to be done. Because we do better with some element of structure. That's an osteopathic tenant for optimal function. So open space can certainly still be a structure. The margins might just be much wider. And sometimes we don't see them. And when we don't see them, they don't hold us into any sense of accountability or follow through for that. So just recognizing that. Recognizing what that wide open space can be. And decide how you'd like to engage with it. So as I am recalibrating right now, I'm in this state of almost disbelief. How did that even ever happen? And I'll drive by the bay, and that's another part right now, is that I've been in my car more. We've had the snow come, and I thought about that yesterday. I really do prioritize walking and biking as transport, but my responsibilities this week have shifted as my husband is traveling, and he is generally the primary child transporter in our family. And so I do have the luxury of being able to bike and walk myself many places. And I do, as often as I can, encourage and include my children in that. We try to bike on Fridays, and so we're strategizing tomorrow, that's Friday, how we can get the appropriate gear and attire so we can be illuminated enough to make that bicycle ride to school. And so many different parts have shifted. So that recalibration is not simply that one element, but this week it's a matter of many factors. And we could look at how are they contributing? So is this sense of not having the time and the space simply distance away from having been swimming? Or is it because these other factors have shifted and taken up that space so quickly? And just noticing that when it was carved out and it wasn't particularly structured before, it was just knowing that sometime today I will get this done, but there was that element of commitment to it. And there was a sense of when that could most likely happen. Again, out of routine, out of practicality, out of checking the weather to see where the best windows might be, acknowledging how long it took to get down and back from the shoreline and to get changed, to get rewarmed in some of those colder swims. So even though there was some space around it, it was a guarantee it was happening that day. So I would commit certain zones of time to that. When we are not on that space of a continuum or the trajectory or the inertia or the momentum, it can be easier to just 
let that slide. Again, say in a little while, in a little while, and then it's dinner time, and then it's bedtime, and then there we are, not having completed that task. So as I thought about the recalibration, as you might expect, I looked up the word calibrate. I wanted to bring in some of the definitions offered and see what that means to us here in this experience. And we have five here, and some may resonate more than others. That's where choices come in. And interpretation is available to you, placing it into the meaning of your own experience in this current time. So first, definition of calibrate, to ascertain the caliber of something. And we could think about that in a very practical, tangible, tactical sense. But what is the caliber of that experience? What is the meaning of it for you? And I think about that previously and how the swim experience held so much weight for me in that time, right? It was so important to me. And we can think about the definition here. We'll take it in of caliber, right? So the quality of someone's character, the level of their ability, the standard reached by something. And so just seeing that standard that was upheld through that experience and then allowing it right, to, I don't say diminish, but just shift in this new time. Right? So my recalibration is reassigning the value, the weight to that experience. Right? So another definition is to determine, rectify, or mark the graduations of something. And just think about those steps. And I think about that in the daily challenge. So had we set out with 153 days at the start, Could it have been daunting? Potentially. Essentially, I started out knowing I was aiming toward 122. But if we think about just in that moment, the daily swim, it was simply one day, even that, one outing, one stroke at a time to get to that 105 strokes each day, right? So recalibrating to what the steps might be. I think about that when we approach workouts. So sometimes you'll just see it as it's broken down. It might be 10 sets of 10 of something. And if you see the 10, 10 seems quite doable and measuring it in that gradation makes sense. If you slip into that trap, we'll say, of doing the math, of saying, oh my goodness, it's 100 reps of that movement, that can seem daunting and your approach to it can be very different. So recognizing the gradations, the graduations, the steps that you qualify, the way that you break something down, and when it can be encouraging or discouraging for you. I think about that with going to medical school. If you stand at that start line, your acceptance letter, even prior to that, really, there's this four-year and many times much longer than that prodrome, the preamble to beginning medical school. If you think about all the days, hours, years of study, of work involved, that can seem quite daunting. And you have the opportunity to calibrate or recalibrate it back to the one subject at a time, one day at a time, one test at a time. Although sometimes the tests did come in multiples for my classmates, right? We had that experience quite often and see it that way. And then you can also reflectively look back on it and say, wow, right? I have accomplished all that once we have reached the finish line or that moment of completion there. 
Another way to look at it is to standardize by determining the deviation from a standard so as to ascertain the proper correction factors. Now there, we have all the scientific nature of it, and we could say that has nothing to do with anything we're talking about, but what can we pull from this to standardize? And that can bring up all kinds of feelings. We think about standardized testing, and what are the standards, and who is determining them, and are we choosing to continue to be measured by those? Are we agreeing to this? Right? So calibrating is aligning it with certain standards. And I work with many physicians and we talk all the time about whose standards are we upholding? Are we allowing ourselves to be measured against? And is that okay? Is it in alignment with our own values and what we see as important in a metric space and in those immeasurable spaces? And the purpose here, so sometimes getting to the why can make it more helpful, more possible to get on board with that idea of standardization. So if that underlying sentiment to ascertain the proper correction factors, let's offer some different views of that. In the two spaces, I spend a lot of my time, energy, thoughtfulness, desire for revolution are in the medical world and in the education world. And we could say largely because I am a physician and I'm a parent. So I have, I'm a stakeholder in both of those spaces, admittedly so. I do believe, as an osteopathic health policy fellow, that I am upholding that greater good of optimal experience for patients right, in that medical space and for students, yes, and all of us actually in the education space because that act in the experience of education is a formative factor for the citizens we are bringing into the world, the way in which we are interacting, interacting with one another and the intelligence with which we're able to communicate. So stakeholder, yes, greater good, yes, seeing and acknowledging both of those in that space. So if it's to ascertain the proper correction factors, if we think about it in a punitive way, in a critical way, that standardization is just to tell you where you're wrong, right, and how you're failing and what you need to live up to, that can be really frustrating and daunting. If it is in order to recognize where gaps might exist, right, in the medical system, in the education system, to see where the curriculum might not be meeting the needs, where the style might not be effective, where the allocation and the use of certain resources might not be as helpful or might be lacking and need to be reinforced or in the healthcare system where there are methods that aren't working, where there are omissions of certain needs for patients, where staffing needs to be adjusted, where if we can see it from that lens, that can be really helpful. And one of the most helpful vantage points when having one of my children take a standardized test and receive their results was when the teacher presented it through the lens of whatever this result is, my role is to bring that student one year forward right, through the process of this year. And so if they are behind the curve, it's bringing them forward from where they are, meeting them where they are and bringing them forward progressively one year worth of education and experience and skill development. If they're in the middle of the curve, we bring them one year forward there and if they are ahead of the curve, 
bringing them one year forward. And you can imagine that has challenges because that means giving students in those different spaces and places various methods and tools and resources and ways of teaching. And at the same time, it illustrates that that standardized tool can help to ascertain the proper correction factors. And we don't have to say anything is wrong with any of those, but correction in so much as the opportunity to move that forward to make progress. And you might say the person behind the curve needs to be brought more than one year forward, and we could talk about that. We could examine that. But I think we could also agree that the goal for that student is to help them to make progress and to say, here are the standards, here is this distribution, here's where you are, and we're going to help move you forward. And perhaps they do gain in their space on the curve, but moving them forward from where they are is a benefit of that assessment. And it was one of the best ways I heard where I could really embrace that as an experience and agree with that. So seeing the same, if we think about some of the ways we get standardized results in medicine, we could look at tests. Oftentimes we'll look at surveys, right? patient satisfaction surveys, for example, and there can be some lack of standardization available there because there's a lot of subjectivity involved. At the same time, if we can get a global assessment, so if here's a wide distribution of these scores and what am I making that mean? And how can I, from this, utilize it, right? calibrate it so that it gives me information to implement certain corrective factors? And corrective here, again, I'd love to have a different alternative for a word. Adjustment factors, optimization, perhaps. Maybe that one resonates more effectively, factors. So as not to say something is necessarily problematic, but there's an opportunity to make a shift that can optimize the experience for all. Let's look at calibrate in another way, to adjust precisely for a particular function. And noticing this, and what I've been talking about with different participants in my programs lately is recognizing their strengths, right? seeing the work that they are good at, automatically, and many times, we have this preconceived notion that if it's not hard, it's not worth doing. And I'd like to challenge if we can be in our zone of excellence, of genius, of expertise, and things can feel easy or have ease, looking at the difference between the two of those as well, and still be worthwhile and worth doing. Do we have to struggle and suffer in order for something to have value and deserve our effort and attention? And I'd love if we could get to a space to even just consider uncoupling those. And if we can say, what is the job that needs to be done? What is the task at hand? What is the mission to be upheld? What is the vision here? What are the ways in which I can contribute right, that are within my strengths, ideally in my zone of genius? We don't always get to be there right away or all the time. And I heard referenced in a podcast with Brene Brown and Impact Players I think it was Liz Epstein. I'm going to verify the name on that podcast, the author of that book. And looking at what job needs to be done. And if we can line it up with that which we do well, with that that is our excellence and our expertise, naturally fantastic. If it doesn't quite, can we see an opportunity to calibrate, to be able to take our excellence and expertise toward that task? Because it is the job that needs to be done in this moment. 
and see how we can contribute, how maybe even we can learn, and how it might be a pathway forward to the work that we choose to do, that we want to do. And there's a space too, do we often let ourselves want to do something or to do the thing that we want? I would say maybe not often. So looking at how we can calibrate for a particular function, and if we think about it in a grid, and I often picture this, right? We have the optimal corner. We always have that, right? We want the thing that's easy or gives ease or even joy for us, and that is wanted and needed right, by the collective. There might be the thing that's wanted and needed, but it's a little harder for us, where you kind of drop down into that category. We have the thing that's easy and joyful for us, but it's not really the thing that's super needed. Admittedly, I'll spend some time in this quadrant. And then we have that quadrant that really we want to spend as little time in as possible where it's difficult for us, right? There's no ease and there's no joy, and it's really not even needed. And how many times are we actually in that quadrant? And what's the opportunity to shift out of that? And so perhaps we can be in that space where it's not the ideal thing, it's not in our zone of genius, but it's the task that's needed, right? We can be there not endlessly. That space where it's ease and joy and needed, that one, that can kind of move on into infinity. That could be an infinity loop of energy because it feels like we're gaining from that. And as a brief aside, I noticed this with some of my colleagues, one of whom I honor at the beginning of this podcast, Dr. Huff, who really and truly seemed to be ignited, to be excited and invigorated by the work in clinic. And the same was true of my colleague in Ashland, Dr. Patrick Budlake. And I would often think, I like what I'm doing, seem to be pretty good at it, my patients respond well, but I still will feel drained by this experience. And I often thought that I was maybe doing it wrong, right? And that if I could make some adjustment, I could tap into it in the way that they were experiencing it. And I still don't know if that's completely counted out. I think there are opportunities. And in the clinical space, I can offer myself some mindset shifts, right? some different thoughts to approach that and see what the difference is. But what I truly think now, what I'm coming to realize, is that I was in that quadrant where it was the work that was needed. This was good work for these patients. But it wasn't necessarily the space of joy and ease and excellence, And it's hard for me to even say that out loud here, but I'm going to just say it and own it. And there were elements of it. See, I want to already modify it to justify it there. But the space of excellence for me, the zone of genius, the room for joy is in this bigger picture program implementation in collaboration in those spaces. And I can spend a decent amount of time in that zone where it is the work that is needed and it isn't necessarily my exact zone of genius. But when I get to these spaces where it is, right, work that is needed because this is needed as well. Creating solutions in the systems of medicine, supporting those who are active in the practice in, in a space where they are struggling and suffering with it. And I can bring my experience and expertise to that feels like it could go on forever. Why I can take calls at various times of the day and handle large projects because it feels like that reinvigoration and I'm beginning to understand what my colleagues were experiencing in that clinical one-on-one space. That was it for them. 
they had found that quadrant. And so I encourage you, if you're in a space where it seems like, right, it seems like all these factors, if I look at it on paper, it makes sense. If you can do perhaps, I won't say more honest, because I think you're being honest about it, maybe a layer beneath, a deeper dive into that assessment and say, is this the thing that's needed? And you can even put right now, because sometimes the work does change. What's asked of us changes. And is this the space where it does feel easy? Can I let myself just tap into that? And notice if there's room for adjustment in either of those. And if there's not, sometimes just that acknowledgement and realization of that's what's happening here. If there's nothing wrong with me or wrong with the work, we're just in this less than ideal upper right quadrant, right? It's okay. And I know that it might not be sustainable indefinitely, but I can see that it's sustainable for right now and I'll do a reassessment in a week, in a month, in a year, whatever that season might be. So that is what I think about when I think about calibrating, adjusting for a particular function. And then finally, to measure precisely and to calibrate and recalibrate with yourself. And I simply think of that as a check-in. Can I come back around and take that assessment for and of myself? See where I stand, see what I need, see what I want, right? And to measure that. And again, here, you can measure it against the standard. I'd invite you to take inventory, see what other standards are in there, see what things are working for other people, and always remember to come back to measure against the standard of your own values, of your own reserves, of your own capacity, of your own needs and wants. Let that be the standard to which you recalibrate. And if you think, I don't really know, I don't know what I need or what I want, give yourself some time and space to figure that out. I don't assume you have to go to an external measurement, an external example in order to know. You can gain information and insight, but own it. Make it your own and stay with that. You can. You have the opportunity to recalibrate, to make adjustments, to fine-tune, sometimes to major tune, right? If you're a string instrument player, we weren't allowed to turn the pegs until high school, I don't feel like. But sometimes you do. Sometimes you need to turn the pegs. Many times you can absolutely get through and be precise and resonate, be in tune with the fine tuners. So as you engage, and if you're going through a transition in your life in any space, give yourself some grace as you adjust to what is needed in this moment, in the bigger picture, and explore how you might recalibrate for your best health. This is Dr. Millie Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.